Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Today we're reading Luke 1, 5-25. Okay. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be a great well, he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the, obedient, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, making ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years." And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, for those uh, you don't, who don't know me, my name is Archie. I'm a member here at Trinity Life, so I'll be sharing from this passage this morning. We're starting a new series, which I'll touch on a little bit later. But I want to start, before I post this picture, I just want to give a trigger warning. So if you are offended by ectomorphism or extreme paleness, you may want to turn away. So, so this was me, uh, Thursday and Friday uh, this week. So uh, don't be alarmed. I'm healthy. I'm fine. Um, so uh, 
but I this week I got a Holter exam. So a Holter exam is something where you get your heart monitored. Before this, I did one of those treadmill tests where they uh, test your heart under stress. And then uh, this is one where for 48 hours you get these things put on you, a little uh, machine there that monitors your heart activity. And again, don't worry, I wasn't, there's no big issue that I had to put this on for. Uh, but uh, there was, a, in August, I had a couple really small chest pains that are probably nothing, but my family history is that both my dad and my maternal grandfather died of heart attacks. So I thought, even if something's small and I'm still young, even if not by Trinity life standards, uh, <laughs> that, that I uh, should get it checked out. So, because, uh, and I thought about this as I was preparing for the sermon this week, that just like our body, something, everything could be fine outwardly. Like I ran a marathon last month, uh, I'm in good health, I, I don't drink coffee, uh, but um, you never know what could be going on under the surface. And similarly, spiritually, you, everything might be going well. You might come to church every Sunday, might be a good moral person, but that doesn't necessarily indicate what's happening in your heart and in your soul. And so we want to uh, look at this this week. And I was hoping maybe by putting on this machine, I'd look like this guy uh, that I found online. Uh, but... <laughs> Apparently, it doesn't change anything. It just monitors uh, what's already there. Uh, but we better take that off. Uh, all right. Don't want to cause the ladies to stumble. So our sermon series that we're going into is about peace. And just like I said, sometimes your body doesn't indicate what's, or what's happening on the outside doesn't indicate what's happening inside. Sometimes you can have outer peace, uh, peace in your circumstances or feeling okay, but that may not indicate a deeper inner peace. Or you may have a temporary peace, but not a permanent one that comes through Christ. So this new series, it's called Peacemaker, Influencing Through Prophetic, uh, through prophetic Perspective. And we want to talk about how if we want to be peacemakers in the world, we want to make a difference in the world, bring peace. We know there's so much brokenness and discord in the world, if we're going to be a part of changing that, we need to have a deep, abiding peace that comes from Christ inside of us. And so this series, we're going to lead up to Christmas, looking at all the different prophetic uh, circumstances that led up to the uh, birth of Christ. And as we look deeper today at the first passage, Luke 1, 5 to 25, I think we'll see four things. We'll see the tension of temporary peace, the promise of prophecy, the dilemma of doubt, and the possibility of permanent peace. All right, so first, the tension of temporary peace. This passage starts out, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, historical background here. This was a time of temporary peace for Israel. They weren't at war, they weren't rebelling, but it wasn't, it wasn't a deep peace, because it was kind of peace when you're conquered by somebody, uh, somebody else. Uh, you look back, since Israel became a nation, they had been uh, at war with the Philistines, been attacked by Egypt. They were, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. The southern kingdom was taken over by Babylon. That kingdom got passed on to new oppressors, the Persians. Later, uh, Greece came through and colonized them, and now there are these new oppressors, uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, my favorite movie um, of all time is Gladiator. And the opening scene... Uh, General Maximus is leading his troops uh, against the, the last remnant of Germanic tribes that are still fighting against Rome. 
And uh, right as they realize the uh, Germany, the Germanic tribes aren't going to surrender, um, Maximus's first, uh, first in command turns to him and says, people should know when they're conquered. And there's two ways you could have peace with Rome in this time. You could willingly submit and come under their rule, or you could fight against them until they made you come under their rule. And Israel was in a place where they knew they were conquered. They weren't, there was a small sect of, um, of Jews, uh, the zealots, that wanted to start a rebellion. But for the most part, people were comfortable now with Roman rule. The Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, uh, had uh, positions of influence within the Roman Empire. There were tax collectors who were doing uh, Roman, uh, the Romans' work for them. So there was peace. But it wasn't a deep peace. It was just temporary. And it was a... Oh, we'll continue on in the passage. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So here we see it was also a time of, I'd say, temporary peace for Zechariah and Elizabeth. They had been following God faithfully. They were in a culture where one of the biggest things, biggest parts of your identity was your family and your lineage. And here they had no, no children. I'm sure they had prayed for years and years. They, had pro- they would have been, especially being from the priestly family, they would have been familiar with the, uh, the Hebrew scriptures. I'm sure they knew the story of Hannah, uh, this barren woman who prayed to God and God answered her prayer and she dedicated her son Samuel to God's service. They might have bargained with God, like, God, if you give us a son, we'll dedicate him to your service. He'll be a priest for you too. But no answer. God didn't answer them. I'm sure by this point they had given up. Uh, It says here they were advanced in years. I wish when Mike makes fun of my age, he would say advanced in years. It sounds (laughs) sounds a little nicer than old. But they they would have at one point asked, why would God withhold a child from us? It's a subset of that one question we all ask, why do bad things happen to good people? But I think by this point, they had probably just stopped asking the question. They, they knew they were too old, uh, and they didn't rebel against God because of this. They were, they were okay. They had a certain outer peace. That we don't know fully what their attitude was, but again, we see that, um, that they're well spoken of in this passage. But they probably just thought, no, no point in asking anymore. God's not going to answer this prayer we had for children. And you think about, there, is there an area in your life where maybe you once prayed to God to do something powerful in you or through you, but maybe now you've given up and stopped praying those prayers? There's a certain peace that I think comes from that, from, from giving up. Uh, no more struggle, no more wrestling, just having that it-is-what-it-is attitude. I, th- I see this sometimes. I work, my um, full-time job is working in campus ministry, working with students, and we invite students to go on mission trips, and a lot of times there's someone who's really interested in a mission trip, and, uh, but then they realize their parents are against them wanting to do it, or they realize you've got to raise a lot of money, and that's difficult, and I don't know students' hearts. I don't, uh, don't know what's going on inside, but I'm sure there's some cases where maybe God doesn't want them to go, and those things are, are there to lead them to do something else that summer. But I'm pretty sure there's times when maybe God did want them to go, but they decide not to. And I've heard them say, well, I had a piece about not going. 
and that could be, again, that peace that's truly from God, or it could just be the peace of, well, now I don't have to deal with my parents' objections. I don't have to work at raising this money. So there's times I think we need to discern when is peace truly from God, or when is it just from our circumstances? So it's, sometimes it's easier not to care or keep caring and being let down, keep praying and not have an answer. It seems like trusting God, there are times we need to persevere and be content with our lot in life, but the Lord we serve is, isn't a fatalistic God that we should just give up on our prayers with. He's always working, even in our waiting. And sometimes he'll even break into our waiting and change something, and this is what we see here. So second thing here, the promise of prophecy. So there's a definition of prophecy we use here at Trinity Life. We did a whole series uh, recently on spiritual gifts. And here's the definition we came up with. The spiritual capacity to reveal God's intimacy by receiving a divinely inspired message and delivering it to others, enabling the body of Christ to discern God's leading. Now, a lot of times when we think of prophecy, we think of predicting the future. And we do see that element in this prophecy that Gabriel was giving to Zechariah. But that isn't always the case. More importantly, prophecy is about guiding someone, uh, giving them a word from God that will help them uh, follow him. So let's look at this promise of prophecy that comes to Zechariah in verses 8 to 18. Now, while he was serving a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the house of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." So when God wants to speak to us, he'll pull out all the stops to make it happen, to awaken us and tell us what he needs us to know. So background here on priests, there were 24 different divisions of priests that all descended from Aaron who were in charge of the temple. So they would have a certain amount of time where this division was at the temple uh, devoted to the Lord. And out of those priests, we don't know exactly how many, but it would have been a, that division would have been a lot of priests, would have been just Zechariah. So out of that division, you would be chosen by lots if you would uh, sort of at random to whether you should go, uh, be the one to go um, do the incense. And so it's possible that some priests would, in their, maybe in their whole life, never even get to do this. Or if they did, it might be only every few years. So God had arranged this perfect circumstance. That priest would go in, they would burn fresh incense before the Lord, uh, before the morning sacrifice and after the evening sacrifice while people uh, had come to give their sacrifices. And here's a picture of what the, um, the altar and the priest might have looked like at that time. So God sh could have chosen anyone to bring this, uh, this child through, uh, but he chose Zechariah. God sh could have chosen any place to give him this prophecy, but he chose next to the altar of incense, and we're going to come back to that later. But back to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? 
it's sometimes we could think it's because of sin. Uh, we look at the book of Job, and his friends thought, you must have sinned against God for something bad to happen to you. But in this case, it's not because of sin, but to set up a miracle, to show God's power. We see a similar example, John 9, 1 to 3. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. So God allowed this man to suffer, to show him in the world his power. God allowed Zechariah and Elizabeth to suffer, uh, this years of being disgraced in their community and feeling uh, not having a son, in order to show them and the world God's power and glory. So if you think about it, uh, God could have just chose you know, some 25-year-old uh, priest and his wife uh, to bring this uh, John the Baptist through. But would the world really have noticed? Would Israel have stopped and paid attention to who this, uh, who this prophet was if he had done it that way? By waiting, by using these unique circumstances, he was, um, he was setting something up, something big. So what about you? Could it be that God is allowing a struggle you're going through so that some aspect of God's character could be displayed through you. Uh, for myself, I, I think back, uh, as a kid, I was picked on a lot. I'll share one story. So grade one, I was, um, uh, I grew up in Saskatchewan, so it was a cold winter day in grade one, and uh, I had my big parka on with a hood, and uh, I was out on the playground, and this grade two, big grade two student came up to me, and he peered inside uh, my parka, and uh, looked at my eyes, and said, are you a boy or a girl? And I puffed up my chest and said, I'm a boy. And he said, good, and punched me in the stomach. <laughs> so I always struggled with being noticed and wanted. That time I got noticed, but not so wanted. But all through, all through it's funny now. But uh, in retro, going to school as a kid, I, most days I actually didn't want to go to school, even though I was, I was good at school and I enjoyed the school part. But because I was worried about being picked on, being... Uh, not noticed by kids, or when I was noticed, not wanted, or on the, on the outside. It got a little better in high school. Uh, I played basketball, and there uh, weren't so many bullies around. But I still, I was so insecure that I actually never ate in the cafeteria at high school because I was worried, like, who would I sit with, or what if I sit with someone, and they say, uh, uh, you can't sit there. Um, yeah, and all this, um, all this insecurity uh, was me doubting that uh, God's acceptance was enough, that I felt like I needed other people's acceptance. Uh, but God, in retrospect, God used that weakness to, I think, give me one of my greatest passions or strengths now. Something I love is making people feel welcome. I don't know if I'm good at it or not, but I always notice the person who's off by themselves or the person who's new at a meeting. And I think that's because I still remember what it's like to be on the outside or be the one who's not noticed. And yeah, if I haven't met you yet, I'm trying, I'm working my way around. Uh, I see a few faces, I don't know your names yet. But God can use uh, our struggles to bring about a greater show of his glory. Your patient trust doesn't guarantee that God will intervene with his power, but he will use your life to display his worth. And did I trust God through that, that he was going to bring something good? Not necessarily. Even now, I still have insecurities. Even last night, there was a student that said uh, she wanted to come check out our church. And I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't tell her I'm preaching because maybe she won't want to come. Uh, it's, maybe, uh, it's funny. Like, these things, you, uh, you think you grow out of, 
out of things, but I still have doubts. And here we see the third point, the dilemma of doubt. Zechariah had doubts. An uh, example from World War II, there was a study done uh, when the bombing was happening over London, when Germany was bombing London repeatedly for weeks, months at a time. Uh, someone did a study on anxiety levels uh, of people uh, around that area. So they grouped people into three groups. There were people far enough out of London that they pretty much knew they weren't going to get bombed. or it was a very, very slim chance. And then the next group were the people right on the outskirts or edges of London who would... Um, it was kind of 50-50. They might get bombed or they might not. And then there was people that right in the heart of London that they knew almost guaranteed either their place or somewhere very close to them was going to get bombed. And out of those three groups, which group was the one that had the most anxiety? You'd think as one that knew they were going to get bombed, that had the biggest chance of being bombed. But the people that had the most anxiety, the most worry, were the ones that were kind of in between, the people that had the 50-50 chance of whether they'd experience this bombing or not. And I think Zechariah is starting the story. He's in that third group. He just knows things aren't going to go well for him in the sense of his prayer for having a child. He knows that that's over. God had surely determined he wouldn't have a kid, and he was okay with that now. So there was maybe less anxiety. But now he has this prophecy come. All this, he's given up on this hope of having a kid. But now could it be? Could he actually be a father? Could he hope again? Uh, before there was no doubt the story it was over, but now... And let's see his response, verses 18 to 20. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Uh, that's a good job. He called himself old, but his wife advanced in years. i got to <laughs> take note of that. Cindy's two days younger than me, so uh, I'm old, but don't tell her she is. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So, I, my first read of this, I, I kind of laugh at Zechariah. Like, you're asking for a sign. What, what do you want? An angel appears before you. I, want, I don't know if angels ever do a face palm, but... Uh, Gabriel, I'm wondering what he's thinking, like, okay, what, uh, am I not enough for you? Do you need the angel Michael as well? Does God need to come himself to earth? Spoiler alert. Um, it's easy to mock Zechariah, but I think we should have some empathy towards him here. Uh, he was too old. Like, they had obviously got to a point where it wasn't just unlikely, but it was impossible that they would have, um, have kids anymore. And even the context they were in, we know historically that it had been about 400 years since God had spoken to the people of Israel through a prophet, let alone an angel. So there wasn't even a pattern of God speaking to people. He didn't have a Levite mentor who could say, well, when an angel appeared to me, this is what I did or this is what I said. This was new, new ground. I think it's, it's fair that he was a bit jaded and cynical and doubted this. And when you think about it, like we laugh at Zechariah, but I was convicted that I'm the same. Uh, in our body life group this week, we discussed how we have some of the same doubts. Um, some examples I can think of. We sing that God is good on Sunday, but then on Monday we complain about our job or our classes. Or we give up on waiting for God to provide for us in marriage or celibacy and just take what will satisfy us now. Every sin, I think, has an element of doubt to it. Complaining is doubting that God wants our best and that the situation we're in is for our good. Pornography is doubting that waiting for sexual fulfillment in marriage will bring the most satisfaction. 
So now I know when on, on our doubts, we could say, well, we haven't had an angel appear to us to show up uh, in our face. But I think we do have obvious signs from God. The biggest one being this, God's Word. Have you ever said something like this to God, thinking of some scenarios? God, how will I know that you will cover the money that I, I thought I would have by now but hasn't come in, and you doubt that God will provide? Well, he already gave a sign. He already said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, meaning what we need, will be given to you as well. Or have you ever found yourself saying like, something like this in evangelism or sharing your faith with others? God, give me a sign if I should try to talk with my neighbor down the hall or not. Um, you don't need a sign. God's already said in Mark 16.15, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Or, God, I don't know if I can forgive that person that, that hurt me at church. Matthew 18, 22, the sign's clear. I do not say to you, forgive seven times, but 70 times seven. So be careful in asking for a sign that you may have had already, or that something that God has already clearly said. Zechariah asked for another sign, and he did get it, but I'm guessing he would rescind his request for that second sign if he had the chance. It was being made mute for the next nine-plus months while he waited for his son to be born. Now, this isn't my main point, but back to the evil and suffering question, or why does bad stuff happen to good people? Uh, having a barren wife for um, Zechariah had nothing to do with his sin, uh, but being mute was a consequence of his sin. Uh, if you've been fired from six jobs, it could be that God is simply testing you like Job, or it could be that you're really unreliable and need to learn self-control, or it could be that you're a jerk and need to learn how to deal with people better. <laughs> so I wonder even prophecy is something that helps us discern is uh, something we're struggling with or suffering we're going through. Is it just something we need to persevere and trust God with, or is it something God's challenging us to change and grow? And we see in two cases here, Zechariah, where the barrenness was not their fault, it wasn't because of sin, but his muteness was. Despite Zechariah's doubt, though, we still come to this last point, the possibility of permanent peace. I'll read verses 21 to 25. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So... Zechariah and Elizabeth had a temporary peace for a while and that tension of living with, ah, do we give up or not? Um, but now they had a more long-term peace, a permanent peace of God giving them a son, and not just any son, but one who would change the world. And God, through that, God made Zechariah and Elizabeth peacemakers by giving them a son, John the Baptist, who would fulfill what the angel said back in verses 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit of the, and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So who would John the Baptist, their son, go before? It was the Messiah. 
Jesus, who would bring peace not only to the nation of Israel, but to the whole world. Uh, something that would go deeper than uh, the peace that comes from not being oppressed by another nation, but a peace that would come from the forgiveness of sins and from being in right relationship with God. This Jesus who John the Baptist would go before would go to the cross for us and rise from the dead. And think, I want to go back to where the angel appeared to Zechariah. This is significant. Beside the altar of incense, there are three other places in Scripture, at least, where we see uh, some insight into what incense represented. And I'll, I want to read two of them. So Psalm 141.2 says this, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifices. And then there's twice in Revelation. I'll read the second case. Revelation 8, 3 to 4. This is so, looks so similar to uh, Zechariah's situation with Gabriel. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. God chose to reveal the coming of the Messiah, or coming of the prophet who would come before the Messiah at a place that represented the prayers of God's people. How many times, again, we don't know if Zechariah was in that temple often, but surely any time he was, he would have brought his personal prayer, him and Elizabeth's prayer, to have a son. That prayer seemed like it was just drifting up into nowhere, but it was going up to the, uh, to the right hand of God. Or how the priests represented all the people. All the people we see in this passage even, there's people waiting outside uh, from the evening or morning sacrifice, and their prayers, that would have been countless, but their prayers as a nation that um, would have been asking for freedom, for uh, God to restore them as a nation, for God to bring his Messiah. And even Gabriel uh, attests to this, that their prayers were heard. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. So don't stop praying. Uh, your prayers aren't lost on God. They are, they're being saved up. God is looking at them, listening to them. But what about our doubts? I think it's okay to admit our doubts when we come to God in prayer. We can admit that uh, we don't know how God will do it, and we don't. So we don't know when God will answer our prayers, or if he'll say no to show his worth through us trusting him despite not getting what we ask. But God, what amazes me here about this passage is that despite Zechariah's doubt, God didn't withhold his permanent peace. He still brought it both to Zechariah and Elizabeth and ultimately to Israel and to the world. So small picture here. Zechariah's lack of trust did have consequences. He was mute. I think of my own life. When I, when I doubt that I'm accepted, uh, it's more anxiety than I need to have. But big picture, my little doubts can't stop God from working through me or in me. And Zechariah's lack of trust couldn't thwart God's plans. He was going to bring his Messiah and bring a prophet before him no matter what. So a reminder of our bottom line that our doubts can't stop God from sending his peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that... Uh, you're a God who brings peace uh, to our hearts and ultimately to the world. You'll, you say you'll bring a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more tears, no more, 
no more war, no more injustice. And uh, you want us to be a part of that. You want us to be peacemakers, bringing your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, yeah, but you know we're weak. We have doubts of whether you're good, whether uh, you'll, you will keep your promises. But help overcome our doubts uh, with you uh, by your son and by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.